Thank you for listening to the Reformation Bible Church Podcast. We hope you are edified and encouraged by our ministry as you listen to our Gospel and Evangelism Sermon Series. For more sermons and resources, please visit the RBC website at www.rbcbakershield.org. Thank you once again, and may the Lord bless you. Heavenly Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. We thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Lord, I decrease that you may increase. I become less so that you can become more. I pray that you would move me out of the way tonight, that you would be glorified, that you would be uh, lifted up in all that we do, Lord. Help your people not to hear me or see me. Help them to hear you, to see you, Lord. I pray that as we go through this, these teachings, that they would be more encouraged and equipped to share the gospel, more encouraged and equipped to, to be bold in their defense of the faith. We thank you, Lord, it will all be for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So last week we began a series, our series of understanding the, the gospel and evangelism. Last week we, we went into part one of our series. We began with what the gospel is not. You remember that? We learned that the gospel is not the message that you are okay. In fact, we are the opposite of okay. We're in bad shape. We'll learn more about that tonight. We learned that the gospel is not simply that God is love. God is, is much more than just love. Uh, God cannot be encapsulated by just one attribute. I will say this, though. If God was to be encapsulated in one attribute, the Bible over and over again attributes to God holiness. If there is one attribute that could encapsulate our God, the one attribute that the Bible consistently ascribes to God, is that of holiness. He's not just holy. He's holy, holy, holy. You see no other attribute described of God in that way. You don't see love, love, love. You don't see wrath, wrath, wrath. Instead, you see holy, holy, holy. We learned last week that the gospel is not that Jesus wants to be your friend. And that the gospel is also not some invitation to moral living. The gospel is good news, and we began the good news, or we began learning the good news about the truth of God. The truth of God, as we've stated before, is that God is holy, number one, right? And, and as I say these, remember that this is, this is how we're trying to work our presentation of the gospel. This is how we're trying to understand how we present the gospel. So we begin with, number one, that God is holy. It's an attribute of God that should cause us, like Isaiah, to say, I am undone or I'm torn to pieces when we are confronted with the holiness of God. So, again, when we begin to evangelize and share the gospel, we want to begin with the holiness of God. We learn that God is also our creator. He's the creator of all things from the largest star in the universe to the smallest mote of dust that's soaring around this room right now. He's the creator of all of those things. God creates and he commands. And God is the judge of those that he creates, which is all all things. All things God is judge over because God is creator over all things. Amen? Why does God have the, the right to judge? Because he's the creator. All things belong to God. Therefore, he can do with what he can do with those things what he chooses. This is the the biblical way of beginning to share the gospel. Number one, God is holy. Number two, God is creator. And number three, God is judge. 
these are a good introduction to the gospel. Now tonight, we begin with the next point in that conversation. And, and, and what should the next point obviously be? If, we, if we've talked about God, what's the next point? Man. We are the next point. Understand that you, you want to eventually arrive at the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ and his resurrection. But in order to get there, you begin with God. In order to get there, you go to the next step, which is humanity. So number one, tonight, we're speaking about humanity or man. Number one, man is created in the image of God. Man is created in the image of God. I'm going to take my time tonight because I want you guys to, to get all of these things. When God was creating the world and all that dwelled within it, he took the sixth day to create man. God created man in a, in a unique way, and here's how. We're made in God's image. Of all of the things that, that God created, we are the one thing that specifically says, we are, the Bible specifically says, we are created, or that was created in God's image. Out of all the things that God created, we are the only creatures that are created in God's image. Genesis 1.26, then God said, let us make man in our own image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In his image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So man is the unique creature in God's creation. This is important when you're sharing the gospel because we are created beings of God. And we are created in the image of God. Man, out of all of God's creatures, was given authority over all creation. God entrusted to man authority over all of his creation. All things were put under the authority of man. We'll see in the second chapter that God even entrusted naming the animals to mankind. This man, his name is Adam, we all know. He is an image bearer of God. He is made in the image of God. But it's important for us to note, he's made in the image of God. He's made in the image of God. He's an image bearer. He's not the image himself. This is important for us to realize. He's not the image itself. He's a reflection of the image. We are created with, and how, how are we created in the, in the image of God? We are created with communicable attributes. I think I put that up there. Communicable attributes. We speak. When we speak of communicable attributes, we're speaking of attributes such as love, kindness, reason, choice, etc. These are the ways in which we were created in the image of God. There are incommunicable attributes. These are the attributes that only God himself has. Those would be things such as Omnipotence, omniscience, omnipresence, infinite, or the aseity of God, the, the self-existence of God. Does that make sense? Omnipotence meaning all-powerful. Omniscience meaning all-knowing. Omnipresence meaning all places at once. Infinite meaning eternal. Aseity of God meaning that he self-exists. He doesn't rely on anyone for his existence, we do. These are the ways in which we are not like God. 
So if anyone was to say to you, oh yes, we are created in the image of God. We're little gods. No, we're not. Little gods. All people are made in the image of God. Because we have been created with these communicable attributes that are alike or that are like God. Does that make sense? Okay, let's go to number two. Man, real quick, man is also made sinless. So when man is created, he's made a sinless, perfect human being. No blemish of sin upon his soul. Man is made perfect as he is created. How do we know this? We'll get to that in a moment. Number two. So, number one, man is created in the image of God. Number two, man is given a command by his creator. God has created this man and his creation is created with a responsibility. Verse 28 of chapter 1. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that, that moves on the ground. This could be called, if you're taking notes, the first commission. The first commission of, of God. Be fruitful and multiply. The second commission, which is the first commission that we know of, is Matthew 28, 18. Go into all the world and make disciples. But actually, God gives man in in his original creation. He gives him an original command. Be fruitful. Multiply. Fill the earth. Subdue it. And here was here was the command. Multiply. Right. Make more people. Here's the other command. Expand the Garden of Eden. If you know what was in the Garden of Eden, it was the presence of God. It was the glory of God. So God's command to Adam is, make more people and expand my glory. Adam failed in that, which we'll see in in just a moment. And there's also another command. And this is the command that we are more familiar with. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, here's, here's the command we know. You may surely eat of every tree in the garden. That says F, the garden. But it's supposed to be in the garden. But the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now again, this is the command that we are most familiar with. God has given Adam a command to not eat of this specific tree. But he's also given him freedom to eat of all of the trees except for one. Amen? Amen. Now, why does God have such a right to make such a command? Because he's the creator. This is important now, and I want to keep coming back to asking you these questions. God has the prerogative to make commands because God is the creator. He can do and command however he likes. So the command is, eat of all of these trees except this one. And because God is the creator, he has the right to do so. So when you're sharing the gospel... God creates man. God creates man in his own image. This man is made holy. This man is made sinless. And God gives this man some commands. Multiply the earth. Expand the glory of Eden, the glory of God, to all the ends of the earth. And eat of all these trees except for that one in the middle of the garden. This is how you're formulating your presentation of the gospel. Does that make sense? Number three, man rebels against his creator. I believe that we're familiar with this passage, but but can we read it? Because I want you to to understand 
What really happened in the garden? What really went wrong in the garden? Verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the other beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, touch it, lest you die. Did God say that? Did God say that? Did God say that? Did God say, neither shall you touch it? No. So she's, she's already getting what God said wrong. But the serpent said to the woman, you, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree, that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be, be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were open, the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. This is known as the fall of man. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. The fall of man. This would be the moment that would cause the rest of mankind to fall in sin. It's important to note the position of Adam during the deception of Eve. Where's Adam during this deception? He's standing right by Eve. Why is that important? Can you turn the air to like 73, 4? Why is that important? Why is it important that Adam is there? Who's been entrusted with the responsibility and care for the garden? Who's been entrusted with the care of his wife? Who forfeited that responsibility? Adam did. Adam is standing right there. Now, for many of us, we would say to ourselves in shock, and I remember the first time I saw this, I was shocked. Adam was standing right by Eve during the entire scenario. And I think my response was, how could he be so irresponsible? How could he do such a thing? But I'd like you to listen to this. That Adam was only doing what you and I would have done. Now, we can read that in hindsight in Genesis chapter 3 and say, I would never have done that. Yes, you would have. How do I know that? Because Adam, as a perfect, sinless person, represented what every single person would have done in a perfect, sinless state. Can you imagine? You can't even do the right thing, and you're saved. You have difficulty right now doing the right thing. Can you imagine how that would be if you were sinless? And yet Adam chose to do the wrong thing. He did exactly what you and I would have done. Adam, therefore, stood as our federal head. That's an important word to write down. Our federal head. He stood as our representative. He represented what we would have done if we had been in the same situation. And he did for us what we would have done for ourselves, committed the sin of disobedience. Why are we paying for his sins again? Because we all fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3, 6, 23, and we all would have fallen short of the glory of God. So Adam rebels against his creator. And the moment that this happened, both of their eyes were opened. And when their eyes were opened, every single person that was born after them, their eyes would also be open to the fact that they were sinners. Maybe their eyes wouldn't be open to the fact that they were sinners, but they would be sinners. <laughs> It would only take the grace of God to let them know or let them see that they were sinners. Amen? 
So, number four. So we have created in God's image, given a command, rebelling against their creator, and then number four, judged by their creator. God goes into the garden in the cool of the day to walk, and Adam is nowhere to be found. He is actually hiding from God because of his sin. He says that he's hiding because he's naked, and Adam then, then reveals what God had already known, that he had sinned and disobeyed God's command. What was the response of God? If we look at Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 through 15, we see that God first gives a response or a judgment to the serpent. And here it is. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Another version, which is a better one, says he shall crush your head and you shall bruise his heel. What is this? This is the, the first statement of the coming of the Messiah, the coming of Christ, the one who would conquer sin, death and the grave. He gives a, a judgment to the woman. He says in verse 16. I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. So pain in childbirth, conflict because of rule or roles of authority. And to the man, he says in verse 17 through 19, and to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have not and have eaten the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat curses the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and dust you shall return. These are all the punishments that God has issued out to all the culprits who are involved. Now, what is the real result? Or not the real result. What is the... What is the result that's not necessarily spoken of here? So we see that Adam is going to fight for food. We see that Adam is going to return to the ground. He's going to die. We see that Eve is going to have pain, or women are going to have pain in childbearing. There's going to be a conflict for authority. What else happened? The Bible tells us what else happened here, but it doesn't specifically say what happened there in Genesis. Here's what I mean. The Holy Spirit is the perfect interpreter of his own words. So when we don't see something in Genesis, we find out later in Romans what else happened. Number five, we inherited sin from our father, Adam. Genesis or Romans chapter five says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sin. What is that telling us happened in the garden? Death happened. Sin happened. And sin spread to all people. And death spread to all people. Now, although it does not say that in Genesis, the Holy Spirit is the perfect interpreter of what he has said. And he tells us in Romans, death spread to everyone. Sin spread to everyone. We inherited from Adam a sin nature. And we inherited from Adam now death disease. So when we see these things, it is a result of the fall of Adam. 
Amen. Is we all making sense? Yeah. What else happened? What else happened to Adam? Because when you're sharing the gospel, most people are going to understand or even know, oh, yes, the Garden of Eden, Eve ate the apple and so did Adam. People are so familiar. As a matter of fact, as I'm telling the story, you think you're so familiar with the story. Which is why some of your faces look dead. Because we're reading Genesis chapter 3. I know Genesis chapter 3. Do you really know Genesis chapter 3? Do you know that if you understand Genesis chapters 1 through 3, you'll understand the rest of the Bible? So then what really happened there? I'll tell you what happened to Adam. Adam gave you and I a corrupted, depraved mind. As you're sharing the gospel, this is an important fact for you to bring up to the person you're sharing the gospel with. Our thoughts became corrupted when Adam fell in sin. The mind is the source of all rational thought. Now listen to this. Prior to the sin of Adam, which resulted in the fall of man, we had a perfectly rational mind. There was no conflict in our mind. There was no conflict when it came to rationalizing a good decision versus a bad decision. David Steele in his book, The Five Points of Calvinism, says this. Man did not come from the hands of his creator in this depraved, corrupt condition. Meaning this, man was not created corrupt. He corrupted himself. God made Adam upright. There was no evil whatsoever in his nature. Originally, Adam was, Adam's will was free from the dominion of sin. He was under no natural compulsion to choose evil. But through his fall, he brought spiritual death upon himself and all his posterity, you and I. He thereby plunged himself and all of his descendants, the entire human race, into spiritual ruin. And lost for himself and his descendants. Listen, the ability to make right choices in the spiritual realm. What did Adam lose? When Adam fell into sin, he lost his mind and he lost the minds of all of his descendants because of the, the, the sin that he gave himself into. We all now were born into a state of corruption. The fall did not destroy our intellect. We are still able to, to reason and to process. But instead, our intellect has become corrupted or depraved. There is now a conflict between good and evil. The mind was disabled. The mind was defiled. And it is subject to misunderstanding and even twisting truth. This is what happened in the garden. The Bible tells us in Romans uh, one twenty-eight that sinful humanity has no desire to retain the knowledge of God. Therefore, God gives them over to what? Depraved minds. Martin Murphy, in his essay on total depravity, says, The desire of all humanity is to repress the knowledge of God. You speak to someone who is not a believer about God. What do they immediately want to do? They immediately want to dismiss what you're saying, challenge what you're saying, or not believe what you're saying at all. It is a repression of the, it is a suppression of the knowledge of God. Since that knowledge, he says, is the haunting punishment of the sin of idolatry. Men cannot think about the nature and character of God because they are reminded of the punishment that will come from his hand. Bible says in Romans 8, 7, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. 
those who are in the flesh cannot please God. If you're taking notes up here, don't worry about that. Those, these will be online. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural person does not accept the Spirit of God, things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand it because they are spiritually discerned. Titus 1.15, to the, to the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Both their minds and their consciences are what? Defiled. This is a condition of fallen man. Their minds have been defiled. They're not able to understand the things of the Spirit. They are unable to submit to God. We lost the garden that day. And we also lost our minds. What else did we lose? We lost our will. Number two, we, lost a we have a corrupted will. When Adam was created, he had the ability to apply his will to obey and please God. Think about that. Before Adam's fall, he had the ability to apply his will, obey, and please God. His will was to love God. His will was to, to do good and to please God. There was no conflict in his will toward God. He desired to please God. He desired to live upright. And he did so. Therefore, he pleased God. Every decision he made was in perfect harmony with God. But when he fell, his will became corrupted. His will became perverted. The fall left the will unable to perform any spiritual good. Now, before the fall, he could choose to obey God and please God. After the fall, there is no spiritual good that he can do to obey or please God on his own. Even the best of what we do will be seen as dirty, filthy rags before God. This will is a part of a soul that makes decisions according to choices and desires. Because man is now depraved, corrupted, he is unable to choose any spiritual good because he's now a slave to sin. All he knows how to do is sin. We may do good. We may give to charities. We may clothe the naked, give food to the hungry, and even shelter the homeless. But we can do no spiritual good. To please God our, on our own and be accepted by God on our own. Our wills are corrupted to the bondage of sin. We cannot choose what is good. Specifically, we cannot choose God. Why? Because our wills have become disabled. They've become defiled. How do we know this? John eight forty four. You are of your father the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. Who is a, who is whose will is he speaking about? Those who are apart from God. Their father is the devil, and their will is to do whatever the devil desires. The Bible says in Ephesians two one, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. This is what we are apart from Christ. Second Timothy 2.25. God perhaps. May, God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may escape from the snare of the devil. Listen. After being captured by him to do his will. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. 
Romans 6.20, when you were slaves to sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Because you could not do righteousness. Does that make sense? When you were slaves to sins, you were, you were free from righteousness because you couldn't do it. Man cannot apply his so-called free will to do good because man is a slave to sin. All that he knows is sin. Whether he is a vicious murderer of the body or a slanderous murderer of words, with words. He's a sinner and a murderer in his heart. We must see that the fall, that in the fall we lost our ability to do any spiritual good. To apply our wills to do any spiritual good. Our wills were captured by Satan. We desire to apply our wills to do as he did. We were sons of disobedience. And when it came to righteousness, we were free because we had no righteousness. This is for everyone. The Bible says in Second Chronicles 6.36, There is no one who does not sin. Romans 3, 9 through 12, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have all become worthless. No one does good. No, not one. This is the state of man. And people want to argue about free will. What are you going to apply your free will to do? Yes, you have free will. Apart from Christ, you have the free will to choose everything that you desire. And all you desire is sin. After or apart from regeneration of the Holy Spirit, you will only pursue sin. And even someone trying to do good and say, I can do this on my own, even that is sin. Even their best works are seen as sin because it is spitting on the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ and saying, I can do better. Does that make sense? Which leads us to our next point, corrupt desire. So we had a corrupt mind. We, we inherited a corrupt will. And corrupt desires. When God created Adam, he created Adam perfectly. The only desire that Adam had was to please his creator. But think about that. That's the only soul-driving passion of Adam, to please God. That was the thing that woke him up in the morning. That was the thing that, that helped him to rest his head at night, was that God was his passion. God was his desire. He knew why he existed. He found the, 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 the satisfaction in that passion. God. Imagine how you lived. That that's all you. That's all that drove you was God. All that you wanted was God. And all it took was Satan making a suggestion. Maybe there is more satisfaction in that tree. Maybe there is more passion in that tree. Maybe you could be even more fulfilled. If you partook of that tree. And at that moment that Adam freely chose to seek a passion outside of the passion that he had found in God. His passions became corrupt. Does that make sense? Once Adam chose a passion outside of the holy passion of God. His passions therefore became corrupt. And that was passed on to you. And that was passed on to me. All of our desires are for evil. You may say, no, they weren't for evil. Even if you, you say they weren't for evil, they were about a particular person. You. Therefore, your passions were evil. Our passions and our pursuits were not for God, not for his holiness. Rather, our passions and our affections were so corrupt that our desire was to do what pleased only us and not God. 
The Bible says in Genesis, the Bible says in Genesis 6, 5, this also tells us what else happened. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every inclination of the thought of his heart was on evil continually or on evil all the time. Every thought of his heart, every every desire, every passion of man was evil all the time. The Bible says in Genesis 8.21, the intention of man's heart is evil from you. Jeremiah 17.9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand? John 3.19, this is the judgment. Light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Ephesians tells us that our dark that our, our that, that we are darkened in our understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in us, due to the hardness of our heart. We become callous and given ourselves up to sensuality, greed, malice, or to practice greed and every kind of impurity. This is the condition of man. How many of you are encouraged right now? Good. The point of this sermon is not to make you feel encouraged. As one of the brothers was saying last week, this is bad news. This is the bad news you have to communicate. Some of you thought, I, was, I thought I was coming to church to get good news. No. You're coming to get the truth. Here's the truth. No one is righteous. No, not one. Westminster Confession of Faith says, Man by his fall into a state of sin have wholly lost all ability of will to do any spiritual good accompanying salvation. So as to a natural man, being altogether averse, averse from that good, and dead in sin, is not able by his own strength to convert himself or to prepare himself thereunto. You can't save yourself. Nothing you can do. Number six, what else happens? So we are corrupted in our, our minds, our wills, our desires, what else happened? Six, there, we died and we are separated from God. God promised Adam that if he disobeyed, he would die. And that's exactly what happened. Genesis 3.22, then the Lord said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden out of God's presence, out of God's glory to work the ground for which he had, from which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword and turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Adam died naturally. His body would be subject to decay and Adam died spiritually. What is spiritual death? It's separation from God. Spiritual death is separation from God. Before you came to Christ, you were spiritually dead. When you were born, you were spiritually dead. Apart from Christ, you were separated from Christ because of the sin of Adam. Again, Romans 5.12, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. Ephesians, which we know, 2.1, and you were dead. And your trespasses and sin in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. You were dead in your trespasses. You were separated from God. As you're sharing the gospel with someone, it is so important for you to explain to them, to communicate to them, that if they have not placed their faith in Christ, then they are separated from God. Therefore, they are dead in sin and trespasses. And when they die, 
They will live in eternal separation apart from God. And there will not be demons as this 99 has been uh, portraying. And I just talked to Mark about this. There will not be demons torturing people. Demons will be tortured alongside with them. It will be the wrath of God that is upon them. Because God has separated himself from them because of their sin. They're not going to be demons, pitchforks, poking at you saying, ha, ha, ha. They'll be reaching out for the same mercy that you'll be reaching out for. If you do not place your faith in Christ alone. Our Confession of Faith, 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith, Section, uh, section 6, Article 2. Our first parents, by this sin, fell from their original righteousness and communion with God. And we in them, thereby, death came upon all, all becoming dead in sin and wholly defiled in the faculties and parts of soul and body. What did he lose when he died? He lost fellowship and communion with God. Someone that you're sharing the gospel with, as you're sharing with them, they are out of fellowship. They are out of communion with God. And the only way to get back into communion or the only way to receive fellowship with God is to go through a mediator because there is hostility between them and God. And that mediator is none other than Christ himself. There is no mediator, no other mediator between God and man except for the man, Christ Jesus, who brings back, who reconciles God and man from the hostility that is there because of sin, our sin, and because of God's holiness that he could not tolerate. Our sin. Amen? The last but not least, therefore the wrath of God is upon all sin and sinners. This may shock some of you. I remember it shocked some of the youth when I read it to them. Psalm 5, 5. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. Another version says you hate all sinners. You've heard so long, love the sin or love the sinner, hate the sin. God says, I hate the sinner and the sin. You want more? Psalm 11.5. The Lord detests, or the Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. God is not playing with sinners. God is not playing with sin. If he did, then he would compromise his holiness. And he would thus forfeit his deity, meaning he would no longer be God. Romans 1, 18, therefore, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by, their, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Why? Because God is holy. His holiness demands that he punish sin. And this is bad news for everyone. Everyone who is apart from Christ, here's the bad news tonight. The bad news is this. That God created you. You were made perfect in his image. God gave you commands. But you chose to rebel. We chose to rebel against those commands. And God, because he is the judge, had the right to judge us. And now we are sinners. We are, sin we are sinners in our mind, in our wills, in our desires. We are separated from God and we are dead in our sins. And the wrath of God is upon us if we do not turn to Christ for our salvation. Because he is the only way that we can be saved. Do you hear how the gospel presentation begins to, to formulate? God is holy. God is creator. God is, is, is judge. And God made you. 
And God made me. And God created man in His image. And you start to, to formulate that gospel. I think I have it here. Yeah, here it is. This is just for me preparing the sermon and saying, okay, let's put together what we've learned so far. God is holy. He is the creator of the universe. And He is the judge. Man was created in God's image. Made perfect. God gave a command to expand His glory, worship Him, and obey Him. Man rebelled and disobeyed. That command bringing death to all humanity. We have become depraved in our minds, our wills, and our desires. Because of sin, we have become separated from God, and His wrath is upon us because of sin. That's your introduction to the gospel. That's your introduction to the gospel. So, the other day I was asked, I forget who asked, we don't start with the bad news, we start with God. And then here's the bad news. So, Sproul did get it right. God is holy, and you're not. What are you going to do about it? Enter Christ. Right? Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this night. Thank you for this time. Pray that you are glorified. Pray that your people are edified. In Jesus' name we pray.